let's let's move on to the sermon this morning. We are going to be in Colossians three, uh, so you're gonna you can can start to turn there. But we're going to continue uh, our march through this book of Colossians, uh, and so now we find ourselves uh, in chapter three. So there's only four chapters. Is that right? Four chapters. I'm remembering correctly. I've I've made some wrong statements before about things about like books of the Bible, which people are like, man, this guy's a pastor, and I've said the you know I said the wrong something. But I didn't, I hope, I, I was trying not to be wrong in that. But chapter 3, um, as you're turning there, uh, this morning I've, I've titled our sermon, Driven to Holiness. And, and before we really dig in, as you start to kind of glance at that passage, um, I, I do kind of want to talk about this idea of holiness. I want to talk about holiness for a minute because holiness seems a little bit elusive. Sometimes we talk about this idea of holiness and we're kind of like, man, what, what is he talking about? What is he getting at with holiness? And even sometimes it's kind of like this scary thing for us to get our minds around. Are any of you kind of like me and, and kind of feel like, man, it's hard to be holy? When we talk about holiness, it's, it's hard to be holy. This, this kind of, in a sense, perfect or set apart or or perfectly good. Man, it's hard to be holy. Or there's no way I will ever be holy. You know, you're thinking, man, there's not enough good things in the day, not enough hours in the day, not enough good things I could do that I could be holy. And I hope you're kind of starting to get the idea a little bit from, from not only this sermon series, but, but just the preaching in general at Capstone that, and, and, and this will be the, one of the whole crux of our passage, our holiness isn't found in what we can do, but what Christ has done for us. And we'll, we'll dig into that here in a second. But there's a reason that holiness is hard. There's a reason that we're kind of like, man, why is it so elusive? Why, why can I not figure this out? Because the, the reason that it's hard is that God is holy and He's perfect. God's holy and He's perfect. And before sin, if we read through Genesis, if you're new to the Bible, if you read in Genesis before Adam sinned, Adam was able to walk around and talk with God, like hang out with God. And the reason he could do that is because in a sense, that was before sin, and in a sense he was holy before sin entered the picture. But after sin, we, we, we can't do that anymore. Adam couldn't walk around with God. In fact, he was banished from the Garden of Eden because of his sin, because of the lack of holiness, because he wasn't up to God's standard, Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. And ever since that day, ever since man fell, we've been trying to be right with God. And we've been trying, in a sense, to, to discover his holiness. So we've been trying to get things back to the way they were when Adam hung out with God in the garden. I love when we look through Scripture, uh, the, the more that we look through uh, past Genesis and we begin to see uh, exactly the way that God was working with the people, the Israelite people, uh, God's chosen people struggled with, with this idea of holiness. So it's not a new thing. It's not like just today, like in the last couple months, holiness is a new thing we're trying to figure out. God's people, His chosen people, the ones that He said, these are my people, and He gave them the promised land, they struggled with holiness. Just read through the book of Leviticus. Anybody read through Leviticus? Leviticus is kind of a boring book because it's a bunch of rules and, and, and how the people were supposed to relate to, to their worship and to this idea of holiness. 
Leviticus lays out what God required of the people. And if you ever read through Leviticus, you're going to realize how hard it was. How hard it was for them to be holy. In fact, back then, what they did to be holy was they would sacrifice a lamb or a young bull or something like that. They had to do sacrifices to to try to make their holiness right. In fact, when the priest didn't do it right, God struck them dead in, in the temple. So this holiness was probably even more elusive for them back then. It was hard. That's why holiness is hard. It's because God is perfect and because sin has entered the picture. But I love how if we continue to read the story, we get this idea through Scripture that, that now we have Jesus. And one of the biggest things that the Gospel does is it imparts Jesus' holiness to us. The, the, the biggest thing of the Gospel is that it takes Christ's holiness and when we accept Him, it puts His holiness upon us. If you ever read the, the story, we'll, we'll look at it in a few weeks when we're celebrating Easter, but, but the veil of the temple was torn when, when Christ died on the cross. And what that signified is that no longer did we have to send a priest into the Holy of Holies for Him to sacrifice something so we could be holy, but Jesus came and died on the cross and gave us His holiness. So our holiness is found in Christ. We've been imparted with the holiness of Christ. Where we fail time and time again, we are covered by the grace of Christ. When when we become a follower of Christ, we are covered by His grace even when we mess up time and time again. And so, in a sense, because of what Jesus has done, there's a whole lot better, a whole lot easier access to the holiness of God. But, this is kind of where the big but enters the picture. We have the holiness of Christ through the gospel, and when we accept that, that's awesome. And we have this access now, but this doesn't mean we just live like we want. This doesn't mean like that just because we're holy, because of what Christ has done, we can just have a total free life and a free pass, a hall pass to do whatever we want. When we become a follower of Christ, we are driven to holiness. We are still driven to the example that Christ has given. We're still driven to the holiness of God. When Christ is, is everything for us, we, we are driven to His holiness. And what this means is that God calls us to change. God calls us to change. God wants us to make a difference. And when we're a follower of Christ, God pushes us to holiness. God will push us to holiness. I firmly believe that when we look at Scripture, when we encounter Christ, He doesn't leave us the same. He doesn't just leave us to stick with the lifestyle or whatever we're doing, but He pushes us towards His holiness. So there's a few things that when we're looking at holiness, this thing that seems elusive, hard to grasp, something that even kind of scares us a little bit, there's two hard truths that I want us to know before we even dig into Colossians this morning. So a few hard truths about holiness. First of all, you won't be holy tomorrow. When we're talking about uh, this, this type of holiness, yes, Christ's grace covers us, and God sees His holiness when we've accepted Christ, but our desire to be more like Christ won't happen tomorrow. It's a process. I've thrown this word out before, but that's called sanctification. We are saved by grace and what Christ is doing. That immediate point, God no longer sees our sin, but sees Christ's holiness when we accept Christ. 
But the process of becoming more like Christ takes a lifetime to figure out. Billy Graham died this week. Billy Graham was an example of a lifetime of seeking that holiness and trying to make your life look like Jesus more and more. So, you won't be holy, you won't be perfect tomorrow. You're covered by, by His grace and His holiness is shown to God, but to be more like Christ, you won't be that tomorrow. And here's the second part. Here's the second hard truth. It's okay to mess up. It's okay to mess up. I think sometimes when we talk about holiness, we get this idea that when we become a Christian, we're going to be perfect. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I became a Christian, I just, I just stopped all the bad stuff. I didn't lie anymore. Do you guys believe me? Well, I probably just told a lie right there, so uh, that just throws that out the window. It's like my language got cleaned up immediately, right? No. So it's okay to mess up. Not that we dwell in our sin and what we continue to struggle with, but sometimes we get this idea of holiness and we're like, man, we're hard on ourselves because you're like, man, the other day I cut that person off in traffic and I flipped them the bird or, you know, whatever. And we start to think, man, I'm so far from holy. And it's kind of this, this downer thing. So it's okay to mess up. But our hearts should be set on being more and more like Christ. We're not going to perfect that overnight, but, but our hearts need to be set on that. We need to seek His holiness. I mean, when we think about this, what is this all for? What is following Jesus for if we don't let Him change us? It's like believing anything. What is, worth, what is believing in anything worth if we don't let it really affect us? If we don't really let it take hold of us and to, to push us to take the steps to become who He is to take the next step. The being made right part with God, that part of holiness is found in Christ and Christ alone. The acting more like Christ part of holiness involves our effort. And that's kind of where we're going to be at this morning in Colossians. So it doesn't take our effort to be made holy and right with God. That's up to Jesus. But looking more like Jesus involves our work and our effort. We have a role in that. So we're going to kind of take a, a two-part look if you're looking at Colossians 3, there's kind of two parts that we're going to look at. This morning, we're just going to look at part one. So in that, that's kind of a ploy for me to get you to come back. So you've got to come back next week. You ever watch a cliffhanger to be continued? Man, TV shows like on Netflix are great at that. That's where binge watching has come from, that cliffhanger that brings you back. So I'm hoping you have a little bit of a cliffhanger. Maybe you're looking forward into verse 3 or in chapter 3 and you're thinking, okay, where are we going with this? So I want to look at part 1 this morning, and then I want you to come back next week, invite a friend, bring a friend, and then hear part 2. So let's look at our passage this morning. We're going to look at Colossians 3. We're only going to look at the first four verses. So you've probably been there for a second, but, but let's read it this morning. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when you also will appear with Him in glory. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the fact that we have the example of Christ and holiness. Lord, we thank you for the fact that Christ imparts his holiness upon us when we follow him, but Lord, also that we have the example of how to live, how to, how to become sanctified in him. So this morning, Lord, as we look at this word, 
As we look at this passage, just pray that you would begin to work on our hearts and show us the next steps to becoming more like Christ. The next step in our sanctification. So Lord, just be with your word this morning and push it into our hearts. I pray these things in your name. Amen. So when we begin to look at this passage, kind of like I talked about last week, Paul is getting practical. We've done the theology, so he's moving on to more of the practical things that he wanted the Colossians to do. Here, Paul is showing the Colossians how to live an ordinary life in an extraordinary way. This whole theme of what we've been pushing towards in Colossians, how to live an ordinary life in an extraordinary way. In fact, this idea of holiness, this, this, this being set apart... Is, is exactly what it means to kind of live against the tide. To, 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 to be set apart, to be different, to, to stand out. That's what it means to be holy. A, a life that is set back to the way it's supposed to be with God is going to stand out. Other people are going to notice that. Not because we follow the rules. Not because people are like, oh, that person's really good at following the rules. But people will see something about you and be like, that person is different. What is going on in their lives that, that makes them be different? Man, I love, when I think of my own experience, the one that really stands out to me is, is like when guys get around me and they, they don't really hear me swearing a whole lot. In fact, they usually don't hear me swearing much at all. Um, but they're like, they usually apologize. They're like, oh, I'm really sorry for swearing. There's a kind of a funny conversation that goes on. But people will notice when you are different. You know, and, and swearing's not the, you know, that's just one thing, one little step to take. There's so many things that will help us stand out, but holiness is being set apart, standing out. Paul points to the, the, the idea of this holiness um, from a new reality. Look at verse 1 with me again. Chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. That first little part right there holds the, the whole key to this passage this morning. Paul points to the fact that we're going to stand out. Our identifying with Him, our holiness, comes from our identification with Christ. You see, when you become a follower of Christ, we're not just uh, giving into who He says we're supposed to be, but we identify with, with Christ. Scripture repeats this left and right, how we identify with Christ. See His uh, reference to the resurrection here? You see, when, when, when we celebrate baptism and we're looking at maybe doing that down the road here shortly, what baptism does is it shows kind of how we identify. We die to our old self and we're raised again. And what Christ does in our life is He takes that old self and, and just like He died on the cross, He puts that old self to death. And we follow Him and He raises us to newness of life. He gives us a new, a new life. So there's this idea of a new reality and the fact that we identify with Christ through His Gospel. So, just like Adam, all of us, our holiness has been messed up from sin. Our holiness has been, 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 been skewed. And for our holiness to be reinstated, Christ had to live a perfect life because we couldn't. And He had to die on the cross, and then He had to raise from the grave. So we, we identify with that. So for us, when we look at our, our sinfulness, our unholiness, we must put our old, old self to death. We must put our old ways behind us. The, the, the big theological word for this is called repentance. Anybody know what repentance means? It means to turn a 180 and go the opposite direction. 
It's like a U-turn out here on the road. Repentance, this is what God calls us to. We identify with Him. We leave our old self and we go right after Christ. And in this, Christ gives us a new life. In this new life, we identify with Christ and we experience things from a different reality. And this is our first point this morning. If you are a Christ follower here this morning, Paul tells us to get serious about following Jesus. To see things from a new perspective. Even if you're not necessarily a Christ follower here this morning, Paul is calling us to see things from a different perspective. The perspective of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. So let me apply this just a little bit. When we identify with Christ, we're given a new lease on life. We have a a, a new chance, a chance to live a new kind of life. So so in a sense, Paul's telling us, you're, you're granted a new lease on life. You're facing death under the weight of sin and this new lease of life. With that, start living that new life that God has given you. But you might be asking, how? How do I do that? Just like any, anything you don't know about, what do you do? You read a book, right? So if God calls us to a new life, how do you live that new life? How do you figure out what that new life looks like? You know, I, th- I think of the fill in the blank, but such and such for dummies. Like, I remember uh, 20 years ago, it was like the World Wide Web for dummies. Does anybody use that book anymore? Maybe my gr- give it to my grandma. But I don't know, like auto maintenance for dummies, you know? Well, I don't want to say the Bible is like Christianity for dummies, but if you want to know how to figure something out, go to the book. Read the book about it. So if we're looking for the new life that Christ has called us to, and we want to start living this new life, the very first place that you go is you go to God's Word. The, the, the coolest thing about identifying with Christ, this is what I love about Christianity, about being a Christian. It's, he doesn't leave it up to mystery. Christ is revealed in Scripture. He's told us who He is and how we follow Him. That's so cool. There's some religions out there that don't have an instruction manual. So you're kind of left wondering, like, what do I do? Or you go based on just whatever the cleric or the church tells you to do. And it's not just me. I'm not up here telling you what to do. I'm telling you to go read the book and figure out what God is telling you to do, what Jesus is telling you to do. So, so the first place to figure out the life that we're supposed to live is to go to God's Word. And He's revealed to us what He wants us to do. The other place that I would kind of guide us to, the other point that, that, that we're looking for is Scripture tells us that the church is the body of Christ. So in a sense, a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church is an outworking of who Christ is. So the first thing you might do is read, read the book that explains it, the instruction manual. But the second step is to be involved and committed to a good church. That's huge. Let me even say this this morning. Capstone's not the only good church in Helena. There's a handful. There's quite a few good churches here. So we're not the end all and be all. But the point is, the Scripture tells us that if we want to live under a new perspective, the way that God wants us to live, we look for Him in His Word, we read His Word, and then that's paired up with being involved with a healthy Bible-teaching church, moving forward down the road with a body of believers. At the same time, as we're looking at this and as we're getting in, involved, we might be surprised just what God will do in our lives. And the point is to, I, I, I say this all the time, start small. 
Just this idea that, that you're not going to be holy tonight. You're not going to be holy because you came here and you maybe prayed in your seat and you read the Bible a little bit. You're not going to be just holy as a person all of a sudden. But it's about taking a small next step. And once you take that step, you take the next step. And you continue to take steps and steps. Just looking at Billy Graham. Billy Graham didn't start with the massive step. He started with the small steps. And he did the small steps over and over and over and over again. It's like playing a sport. You don't do the the big things all the time. You don't score the touchdown, but you're in the weight room and you're running sprints and you're going, going through all the individual drills at practice. So it's little step by step. And at the same time, be here, be present, ask questions. Here's something I hope you guys realize. If you ever want to know something, you're kind of confused, first of all, you can look for it yourself. But I'm here, Andrew's here, someone's here to talk to you and even talk about these things. If you have questions, hit me up, hit us up. Ask those questions. This is a good place for questions. If you're learning, growing, and then just being here. I was kind of talking about that a little bit this morning, but, but, but you guys helping and being in the seats, that's huge. And then finally, be a sponge. Just soak up God's Word. Soak up God's Word. Be listening and, and hearing what He has to say to you. Now I need, I need to move on this morning. So let's look a little further into our passage. So once Paul's encouraged the Christians to start living out what they believe, he, he moves on to encourage them to live a new standard. Let's look at the end of verse 1, and we'll read into verse 2. In the second part of verse 1, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. So he says, set your heart on things above, and then he says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Paul is saying that the Colossians need to get their mind out of the gutter. Anybody ever tell you that? Get your mind out of the gutter? Hope not, but if, it's, if they did, it's okay. But he's telling the Colossians, get your mind out of the gutter. Maybe not so much in the sense of, of how we say that, but more in a sense with the new lease on life that Christ has granted them, they have new motivation, their heart. They have a new mindset. They have a new, new motivation and a new mindset. He's not telling them, to, to, to like go around in a spiritual daze. He's not telling them, just keep your mind on spiritual things and, and don't be aware of what's going on around you. He's not telling them to do that, like have their heads in the clouds. But he's telling them, you have a whole other standard for the way that you can see things now that you're in Christ. And when, when you begin to follow Christ, you have a whole new definition of the standard of things. He's not telling them to be in, this, in the clouds, but he's he, he's not telling them that the temporal or what's in front of them doesn't matter, but that they shouldn't just be concerned with the here and now either. Look how Paul repeats himself. Set your hearts on things above and set your mind on things above. This is so much about perspective. And when I began to think about this, I, I thought of a cool car. I don't know if you're a Chevy, a Ford person, or, but I thought of a, a 1970 Chevelle. If you saw a sweet Chevelle out here, perfect redone Chevelle, and, and someday, I've actually got an old truck that I want to work over, you know, ground up restore, but if you saw this restored 1970 Chevy Chevelle out there, you walk out there, what do you do? You, you get down by the tire and look right at the lug nut. Man, that's an awesome lug nut. That is a sweet lug nut, right? No, that's not how you look at a car. The perspective isn't on the, just the hubs. The perspective is on the whole car. What makes a Chevelle so cool? 
You know, the cherry red paint, right? The, the low rumble of the horses under the hood. That's what I love about old American cars, that rumble when they fire up. That's not a rice burner. That's an American car, you know? You know, the, the zero to 60 in four or five seconds, right? That's what you look at, the whole package, the perspective. In a sense, when you see a Chevelle out in the parking lot, you're going to stand back like this and be like, that's a sweet car. That's about perspective. It's not about getting your face down and looking at the lug nut. Who cares about the lug nut? I mean, maybe the guy that changes the tires might care, but only for a second. What he really cares about is the whole car. You know, I, I thought about this idea of perspective too. Anybody follow the, the, the Voyager uh, like deep space mission with NASA? They've sent these um, probes into space. And the, the two Voyager, they have two Voyager ones. I, say, I guess they send one in case one messes up or blows up or something like that. But the Voyager space probes have left uh, our solar system. That's a long ways away. And it's taken, I think they launched them in the 70s. And, and now they're, you know, they've just somewhat recently left our solar system. And I don't even think they're technically in the next one. They're still kind of in like the outer reaches of ours. But, but Voyager 1, if I'm correct, someone might correct me on this later, but Voyager 1, as it was leaving our solar system in 1990, they did a cool thing and they turned it back and they looked back into our solar system. And it shows this band of light. And the, the pictures, if you're not a space person, they're kind of lame. But if you kind of like space, they're kind of cool because it's got this band of light and there's this tiny blue dot in the middle of that band of light called the pale blue dot. And that little blue dot is Earth. And it's really cool. If you look up some videos on that, that stuff just intrigues me because it is so massive and so far away. But we look at Earth like this big, massive, round ball. There's some people that don't even think the Earth is round. They think it's flat. But our perspective is like here, like as far as I can see, and right here and right now, and it feels massive. And it feels, I mean, it, it is massive, but Man, that perspective back from the edges of our solar system, looking back at that tiny little dot, it was about perspective. Here's, here's a point this morning, our second point if you're taking notes. In Christ, we are called to a different perspective. We're called to a higher standard because of our new, different perspective. We see things from a heavenly, eternal perspective and no longer a temporal right here, right now type of perspective. Our hearts and our minds, like he's talking about, are called to a higher understanding. In other words, as a Christian, when we be begin to follow Christ, Christ helps us understand eternity. And with his understanding of eternity, impact, it impacts our view of today. How we live right now, right here, today, is changed by that perspective. We now view the temporal from the perspective of eternity. We now view today from the perspective of eternity. So I think to apply this a little bit, we need to be about what Jesus is about. We need to be about what Jesus is about. He's doing things around us with an eternal perspective. He is our hope, and it's time for us to jump in and be about what he's doing. Jesus came so that people could experience his glory and that the true fulfillment that they're looking for in life could be found in him, that only he could bring, that they could find it. This affects two things, just like Paul is talking about. It affects our head. As a Christian, we understand right from wrong. We, we understand this perspective from Christ. We talked about this a little bit last week. It's not about just following the rules, but living to honor Christ. That's why we have the rules. It shows us 
how we honor Christ. So we no longer just follow the rules empty. And in a sense, this is how we understand in our head that we follow the rules, that we, that we live in a certain way that honors Christ. And secondly, that it affects our heart. My question is, what do you long for this morning? Do you long for the things of the world that just eventually go away or the things of Christ that are eternal, that are from that new perspective? As Christians, we live against the tide when we call people to Christ and not just to the earthly things. And we live against the tide when we call people to life. But I need to move on this morning. Paul moves on in the passage and he shows us kind of the why. I love how you can follow through these, these different passages and Paul moves us on and he even shows us the why we have this new perspective, why we should live in this way. So look at verses 3 and 4 with me to finish up the passage. Chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Here's our third point this morning. Christ is life. Christ is life. When I begin to think about this, uh, I love fishing. Anybody else like to fish? I love fishing. I would go fishing every day if I could. If I didn't have to work and do everything else, in fact, I would go fishing every week if I could, and I still can't. I can't go fishing every week. But I love fishing. There's even shirts out there. You ever seen a, a shirt that might say, like, fishing is life? Pretty simple, like, fishing is life. be nice if I could just, like, make money somehow fishing. Or, or just think of a lot of things that, that can be life. When I was younger, I had a similar shirt or something, you know, basketball is life, right? Basketball is life. A lot of times we see those shirts with things that we love, and those things are awesome to love. Don't hear me wrong in this, but those, those things are awesome to love. Think about even the shirt. Think if, if really, like, kind of in a negative sense, what if, what if your shirt said, my job is life? I don't think if anybody really wants their job. to Now, you have to work to pay the bills. Don't, don't hear me wrong in that. But we don't really like our job to be our life. We like the fun things that we enjoy to be our life. Or even think if your shirt said, money is life, Right? For some people, is that what it is? Like, money is life. Or the real kicker, what if your shirt said, cats are life? Any cr crazy cat people? Just kidding, don't raise your hand. But what if your shirt said, cats are life? The point that I'm getting at in this is, is we've seen shirts like this, or we've had this idea, or we might even have some of these sentiments in a good way or a bad way. Our job isn't a great one. We're, we don't want our job to be our life. We want to work so we can go have time off, right? Fishing... Even though, I mean, if, maybe if I fished every day, it wouldn't be as fun. Maybe the fact that I only get to do it once in a while, that's what makes it so good. But the point in this, kind of from our passage this morning, when we're looking at the fact that Christ is life, all of these other things make pretty horrible gods. Cats make pretty horrible gods. There were some, I mean, I think the Egyptians worshipped cats. But fishing really makes a horrible god. It's not fulfilling. At the end of the day, it's not fulfilling. Your job, thank the Lord, is not a good God. So we shouldn't worship our jobs. This is the distinction that Paul is making in this, that, that our life is hid with Christ. In Christ is our hope. Our jobs don't give us hope, or even our hobbies don't really give us hope. They give us refreshment, you know, some time off and, and something we enjoy, and they give us happiness, and they should, because God gave them to us for that. But they don't bring us hope. There's not hope in fishing. In Christ is forgiveness. This is why Christ is life. This is what 
what Paul's talking about. In Christ is hope and in Christ is forgiveness. My fishing doesn't forgive me. I mean, it's an inanimate thing. It, it doesn't love me and forgive me and, and see my faults and give pass on them. And most importantly, kind of like what we're talking about this morning, in Christ is holiness. In Christ is holiness. Life is not about principles or rules. It's not about the, making these things, our jobs, our cats, our fishing, our God. It's not about following certain concepts. It's about following a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Because when we decide to follow Christ, when we decide that we want to surrender our lives and we realize that He died on the cross for us, it gets personal. It's personal because Jesus was a person. My fishing's not a person. Now, I might go with somebody, but fishing's not a person. My job's not a person. Following Jesus, His holiness, and making Him our life, is personal because he was a person. In his life, when we surrender to him, is our life. Our life can be found. In him, our righteousness is his righteousness. If we decide to follow him, he becomes the reason, the very reason for our existence. In a sense, I don't want my job to be my existence. Heck, I don't even want fishing to be my existence. As much as I pretend that might be kind of cool, that all I ever did was fish, that shouldn't be my existence. But Christ and His glory and us following Him should be the point of our existence. So as I kind of come to conclude this morning, you have the choice to follow either Christ and His heavenly Father as your, as your God, or you have the choice to follow other gods. This is probably the, the, the biggest thing that, that religion is all about. Who or what are you making God? And here's the thing, even if you don't go to a church, even if you don't walk into some other kind of a mosque or a temple or, or some other kind of religious thing, you're still making something or someone a God. And Paul, Paul's final point in this, as we're seeking holiness, we can seek Christ, a personal Savior, and the holiness that He grants us. And they're not a better God. In fact, he takes those other things that sometimes we make into gods. Now, I'm not saying other religions, but he takes things like fishing, and he, he blows it up and makes it the most awesome thing we've ever done. He makes the Chevelle in the parking lot, puts it into perspective, and makes it one of the coolest things we've ever seen. So his holiness drives us to put things in the right perspective. Jesus is worth more than anything else, and he is the key to our holiness. Jesus is the key to our holiness. So this morning, I hope that, that as we're working through this, as we look at the elusiveness of holiness, the elusiveness of what it means to be good, we, I hope that we can find our holiness, not only what Christ has done for us, but the example that he lays before us. So as I conclude this morning, I ask that you guys would just bow your heads and close your eyes. Everybody would just bow their heads and close their eyes.